Welcome to the Before You Buy or Sell a Business podcast, where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process, discuss recent transactions, and stay up to date on the latest news in the market. Here's your host, Jared Johnson. So uh, today we're at the Texas Association of Business Brokers Conference. I've got uh, Josh Levine here. Um, wanted to talk to him a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of your product, what you guys are working on, um, how it helps buyers and sellers, and, you know, what they can do as far as uh, getting some advice from you or utilizing your product to uh, kind of navigate through the buying and selling of a business and what, what they can do to, to make it easier for them. So maybe give us a little bit about your background, what company you're with, uh, you know, what you all do. And we'll kind of go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, the you know, Texas Association of Business Brokers is this is a really interesting conference, a really great way to meet a bunch of people. And of course, you know, you and FIB and all the work you're doing is, is also fantastic. Um, my, my background, I actually kind of came to this in a little bit of a roundabout way. So uh, my background's in public policy. And uh, I, uh, I graduated uh, from public policy school and went right into finance. So I worked at Moody's for four years. Uh, worked on the buy side for um, credit risk at Lord Abbott for three years, really mostly fixed income stuff, and um, got really interested in through that process. Really, my my bread and butter was organizational analysis. What makes an organization run well? How do you identify who's doing a good job, who's doing a poor job? What are the strategies that tend to lead to businesses and organizations succeeding? And sort of always had that background in the back of my mind when I started out into entrepreneurship about 2018. So I, uh, I started in that direction. I started a couple companies, uh, mostly in ed tech, actually. So I had um, one company in the community college transfer space, another in the um, college enrollment space. And as I was moving through that process, um, got a couple, you know, one of these businesses got funded by the federal government and, you know, sort of some successes, but really, as I move forward, uh, discovered this small business mergers and acquisitions space, you know, through my entrepreneurial connections. So I was working with, there are a couple of guys who were looking to um, start a company, a marketplace company for startups to sell themselves uh, in a transparent way in a, in a marketplace setting. And I joined up with them and through that research, got really interested in, not necessarily on the startup side, but what about some other kinds of small businesses? What about small businesses that have been around for a long time, enduringly profitable, um, you know, family-owned, oftentimes, and and in particular, businesses under fifteen to twenty-five million in purchase price. And so, when you look th- when you look at those kinds of businesses, and you know, SBA financeable businesses, um, there's really the process for acquiring those businesses can be very challenging. There's a lot of friction. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around where to go. Buyers don't necessarily know what the first steps they should be taking in order to engage a broker in terms of engaging a seller, what kind of things do they need to, to research or do ahead of time. And so we've kind of mapped this whole process out. I think the, ste- the number of steps that we built out is 42. So we think that there's wow. 42 steps to acquire a business um, between you know, identifying your deal thesis to engaging with bankers, to engaging with business brokers, um, preparing your financial information, different due diligence professionals, different operations professionals. It's, it's just pretty complicated, honestly. And with the number of small business retirements we're about to see here in the next 15 years, we need the process to work better. We need it to be more transparent and we need more people to be able to access it because there's lots of opportunities out there uh, for a buyer. It can be you know, an opportunity to find generational wealth and really 
you know, build something fantastic, build on a legacy of someone else and, and continue to grow something like that. And for a seller, it's really, this is their livelihood. This is their ability to cash out and, you know, spend the rest of their lives, you know, benefiting from the labors of the, the fruits of their own labor and their hard work. So for us, it's about, can we reduce friction in the space by really connecting buyers and sellers at every single point that those connections are needed? So we don't want the buyers of these small business to, businesses to just be people who have Harvard, Stanford, or Chicago, or Northwestern degrees, people who have many, many connections within the industry laid out for them through their business schools or through big conferences or things like that. If you have a non-traditional background and you're interested in acquiring a small business, you can go through us and we'll say, okay, here's some deal flow in your criteria. Here's how you, here's some lenders that like to work in your space. Here are some investors that could potentially help you with your deal help you with the due diligence, help you with the operations. And then we're using artificial intelligence to connect all those pieces together in a very specified and precise way. So it's a kind of a more unique way of looking at how do we build connections in this space with precision, not necessarily with volumes of spreadsheets, which is what we see in a lot of cases. So, uh, and we didn't go over the name of the company, so. Sure, of course, yeah. (laughs) Give yourself uh, a little plug here. Of course, yeah. So our company is Private Market Labs. We are, we're relatively new. We've been working in the space for a little over a year and uh, our big public launch is probably coming in about six months. Um, We're building a a wait list of of buyers for signing up right now. So we have about, you know, a little over 120 on our wait list right now. So um, definitely any listeners that are interested in acquiring a small business or if you're a business broker looking to connect, you know, we're really looking to to grow our our brand and grow our presence. So please visit us. We're privatemarketlabs.com. And, uh, you know, I'm sure my, my contact information will get out there, but uh, josh at privatemarketlabs.com. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So let's walk through, um, I know you're still working on it. You've been working on it for a long time. You and I talked probably at least what, nine months ago. Yeah. Now. Something like so, that. So yeah. And when you kind of told me about what you're trying to do and I was like, this is great. This is what needs to happen. Um, I do feel like there's a, uh, a little bit of a disruptive uh, portion of the business brokerage that needs to happen. Yeah, um, we saw a, a big shift in the last probably seven to ten years in the residential real estate side. Mm-hmm. Um, tech kind of came into play a lot more. Um, the the old school way of of listing a house and having it sold um, is you know kind of gone away. Um, of course, there's still definitely ways to do it. On the business brokerage side, I do feel at times that there are some kind of people that are are trailblazing that are trying to kind of push push it along and get it kind of more into the to the newer century. So maybe you can walk us through. So let's say I was a buyer and I came to you. Walk me through how the platform works and and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So um, there's a lot there. So I'll I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, no, that's fantastic. Um, I'll start with with that with that question, and then um, definitely want to touch on kind of the modernization of the industry as well. So, do, yeah. a buyer that would come to us, they would sign up. Um, they're paying a subscription for access to all of these different connections. Um, with that subscription, what they would do is they'd say, "Hey, here's what I'm interested in." They'd you know describe the industry, the price, the uh, deal range, the EBITDA that they're looking for, where that business needs to be, and then they'd sort of write out additional details. Oh. You know, I'm looking in the construction industry and specifically I want a hardscaping company that specializes in, you know, plants for backyards, for example, or or something like that. Right. So Mm. really giving us as much detail as they can about their strategy, their targets, um, 
their where their financing is going to come from, whether that's you know through an SBA loan or whether they have a bunch of investors or whether they're going to ca- do a cash purchase. But really, sort of laying out all of their criteria, we would match that buyer with. Typically, it's going to be about 10 deals at a time plus five additional brokers that tend to represent deals in their areas of interest. And then that buyer and the platform would have an open communication around, hey, this deal is really good. This deal isn't so good. We'll adjust as we go forward. But the idea is that once that buyer finds great deals and you know, or broker relationships that are, work really well for them, they'll be able to contact and manage that process through the platform, connecting with all the different professionals, lenders due diligence professionals, et cetera, that they need along the way. So from a seller side, where do you get the listings then that you're, you're essentially trying to match a buyer-specific search to listings that are out there and then also professionals that normally sell in that industry? So you're kind of giving them a, a shortcut from having to go online and search. And you know, obviously in the search fund world, a lot of them sometimes are just cold calling business right. owners, uh, brokers, lenders trying cpas trying to find that business that's for sale so where are you obtaining uh the listings and then the brokers from yeah that's a great question um we're, we're working directly with brokers and that's one of the reasons why i'm here at the tab conference is um we have deep relationships with brokers particularly in texas that's where i'm from and you know we've we've kind of launched earliest in the dallas market and the chicago market to get started but um really working directly with brokers and and to get their listings out there. And what we want is for a broker to consider our buyers to be good bets. So, you know, in, in, you know, you touched on kind of the, the industry as a whole. And I think one of the challenges we have is the way that a lot of, a lot of platforms work. Brokers are put in a position where they need to screen a lot of buyers. They spend a lot of their time screening. They spend a lot of their time, sifting through information and what we would love to do is we'd love to say hey brokers are playing an important role in terms of making sure the seller is prepared in terms of making sure the seller is emotionally guided through the process how do we put a broker in a position to succeed and allow them to do the parts of their job the negotiation the deal making the um the support that they're that they're really good at and and take away some of these like friction causing pieces that end up frustrating both buyers and brokers right everyone's a lot of people are frustrated with the way that the system currently works in terms of, you know, I'm going to reach out to a hundred, a hundred buyers, a hundred sellers and a hundred brokers in a form email, you know, that level of personalization is not going to get you very far. And so how do we put buyers and brokers in a position to have a more personal communication, a more direct communication around, Hey, I'm not just reaching out to you because I saw a listing somewhere. It's I'm reaching out to you because this is who I am as a buyer. These are my criteria. This is why this deal is good, inf- interesting for me. And this is why I'm a good bet. And if we can make that piece easier and cut through some of the noise, then we can put buyers and brokers in a position where that relationship is more meaningful. Because I mean, fundamentally, buying a business is different than buying a house. Absolutely. And so uh, I think that we taught, we use the term broker and people say, oh, they're just going to be like real estate brokers. And, you know, I like my real estate broker. That's super easy. And it's just a very, very different job. We just went through a, uh, an exercise here at TAP where we were given a case study of, you know, just different information, buyer preferences, seller preferences. Uh, some of them were blinded. So we weren't really supposed to share so much. And what it really showed me was how complex a lot of these relationships can be, how emotional, how personal, how many family members can be involved. And so, Unlike a house, I feel like houses, even when they have their idiosyncrasies, are more like each other 
than businesses. And I think because of that, having having that guidance from a broker can be very valuable if you can put that broker in a position to provide that guidance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always say, I, I, I try to get people to understand the difference by also showing, you know, kind of a little bit of the similarity because people can usually understand to some degree the residential side, right, with, with the transaction. So it's very difficult, but I get a lot of buyers that kind of come along and say, hey, can you pre-qualify me uh, to buy a business? And, and I have to try to get them to understand, you know, from a finance side, it's very, very different than mortgage. Um, right. The house doesn't change right is the i'm sorry the the house having uh you know different carpet or different tile does not change the value of the house that much in a way that a buyer can afford it or not so a lot of times what's difficult is for someone to understand that there's two two three pieces of the puzzle when it comes to brokerage you have the seller their cash flow the type of business do they need a license you know so many different variables and then you have a buyer that needs to also kind of meet those qualifications, especially if they need financing. And a lot of them come and say, hey, I have a couple hundred thousand dollars. I want to buy a business. Can you pre-qualify me? And I have to kind of backpedal and say, look, I will review all your information and I'll kind of have an idea of what would work for you. Um, and then when you find a listing, let me know. We'll take a look at it. We'll see if, if you kind of fit with that. But it's very different than saying, okay, your debt to income ratio is right. here. You can afford a $1.5 million house. Go find one, and then the the mortgage lender will, will finance it. So I feel like um, what you're doing is kind of a lot of what what I see as well of a buyer coming and saying, "This is what I want to buy." They don't really know necessarily if they can. So do you also uh, work with the buyer and kind of dig through some of their financial situation to make sure that they're also qualified when they're out looking for that? And, and that's a piece that we're, we're excited about and that we're working on. I think what I would love to be able to do is say, you know, if I could come to you and say, you know, hey, I've got a, you know, this buyer is, here's their profile, here's their resume, here's their, you know, information about their financial situation, and then we can connect and then that they have a deal that they're working on. So they've already connected with a deal. And then the next step is, okay, how do I finance that deal? So then they'll, re they'll reach you at that part of the funnel so they'll be coming in with a deal in hand. And it's just, the idea would be to streamline that process a whole lot. So as a lender, you know, you're doing less sort of handholding and managing that process in a, in a more, you're doing, you're doing less handholding in the sense that the buyer is coming to you with their information organized with a deal already set. And you can say, hey, you know, you've never run a plumbing business before. You're an ex-teacher. Do you even have a license for that? That's a... That's a convert. That's a better. That's an easier conversation than to say a buyer says, "Well, I want to buy a business." It's like, okay, well, I have a hundred questions. Tell me about your background. Tell me about your licenses. Tell me about what you're trying to do. Um, so, can we cut through some of the initial sort of screening conversations on all sides for for lenders, for investors, for brokers? Right? Brokers are also asking all of their own screening conversations. Can we distill that into something that a buyer is able to share across the board? and attached to, to the deal that they're working on in a way that makes everything move uh, faster in a more streamlined way. Yeah, it makes sense. You're also pretty much educating the buyer along yeah. the way. So, Because uh, again, there's not a lot of information out there and that's why we're, we're trying to do this. We're trying to get people to kind of understand the process. Um, you had mentioned at the beginning that there was 42 steps that you've identified. Yeah. So what do you think you can get that down to? Yeah, I think it's... And, you know, 42 steps is... 
it's not going to be 42 for every single acquisition. It's 42 for a complex acquisition, you know, depending on, you know, oh, is there a real estate component? You probably need to hire someone to assess the the value of that if you're trying to buy real estate as well. Like th- those kinds of questions. Um, I think that it's about cutting, it's about cutting down on the steps, but it's also about making each step flow into the next step much more easily. So what we don't want is there to be, there's kind of a start and stop process right now. So if you're saying, okay, I'm a buyer, I'm starting from, you know, square one. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need to, I want to find a business to buy. The first step is, you know, they are, they're scrolling around the different listing sites. They're talking to people, then they need to find a business. So they, they get through that process that takes a long time, sometimes as many as you know, a couple of years even to find a business. They find that business and then it's, okay, what's the next step? I need to finance that business. Okay, what's the next step? And so at every single point in that process, they're trying to build and find connections. And then they get to the point where saying, okay, I'm in due diligence now. I need to find an accountant. How do I find an accountant that's worked in this space before? How do I find a lender that's comfortable with this industry? And so rather than... Ha- stopping the process at every single step and having a buyer say, okay, now I have to do this. How do I go and find that resource? It's, we're going to recommend that resource to you. We're going to make that connection for you. So you're guided through that whole process. And obviously it starts with, with the precision on the deal flow side. Yeah. And then knowing kind of the next steps and what is, is coming right. and how to quickly get to the next step is, is kind of what what I think you're you're hitting on, yeah, um, which is great because we do get a lot of people that uh, you know kind of come to us, and same with the you know the listing broker that come to, hey, I want to buy the business. Okay, do you have a bro? Do you have a lender? Do you have an attorney? Have you talked about escrow? You know, how much cash do you have? Where is the down payment coming from? Right. You know, all of those things. Obviously, if you can kind of educate them up front, and then you you already have a pathway for them to get from point A to point B as quick as possible. Um, so. Maybe it's not completely cutting down some of the steps, but what I would kind of think about it is like if somebody says, "Okay, I need financing," um, you're they're going to add four or five steps themselves right. because they could go to a lender that doesn't do business acquisition financing. Right. Maybe they don't qualify for SBA and they need to do a seller carry note. You you'll already know kind of what path they need to go down and be able to direct them. So that makes a lot more sense. Um, right. You know, hopefully that will will kind of help. Um, and then you also had talked, uh, we both have talked a little bit about the modernization and you kind of mm-hmm. wanted to hit on that. So I'll give you a chance to sure. kind of talk about what needs to change or what, what you think you can see moving forward. Yeah. And I think in a, in a modern world, right, we are all connected differently with each other than we were in the past. So I think technology can be a great connector, um, and sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. And we see this playing out on a national scale, how technology can be used in, in a number of different ways. And, and for us, it's can we use technology to bring, uh, as an entrepreneur, my bias and my instinct is always, how do I use technology to bring more people to the table in a way that they don't have access to right now? So that can take a number of different forms. There's entrepreneurs out there that are taking huge risks and starting their own businesses right now that don't have any cash flow, and then it's customer discovery. And, and there's a number of different steps just to get to a place where you're making consistent cash flow when they would be better off leveraging those same resources and buying a business. There are entrepreneurs that say, hey, I want to buy a business, but I don't have the right pedigree and I don't have the connections and I'm not sure how to navigate those processes. And really it's about, can we use technology to help bring new people in? Because it, we're in a, it's an essential component right now. So when I, when I talk to people about 
the opportunity and about the space. What it really comes down to is, you know, there are about 30,000 transactions in this space, according to PitchBook, 30,000 transactions or so in the space every single year. We're talking under 25 million small business acquisitions. And we have 14 million business owners over the age of 55 right now. And if all those business and about 25% of those business owners are going to pass their businesses on to the next generation within their family, which means, you know, you're looking at 700,000 businesses a year that are going to sell or close within the next 15 years. Wow. And so when 700,000 700, per okay. year. Wow. And, you know, we're only looking at about 30,000 transactions. And so, and you can, you know, we continue to slice that down, right? The total market is smaller than that because some of these businesses are sole proprietorships. Some of them are not very profitable, but even when you get to the end of the day, we think that there is room to quadruple, quintuple the number of transactions in the space just with volume, just, just by the numbers alone. And so if we can facilitate that process and make it so that a new buyer can come in and acquire a business in an efficient way, we can help that generational shift in a way that promotes diversity inclusion, that promotes access, that promotes... Um, you know, income equality that supports the existing communities of the businesses that are there. And we can also make people a lot of money in the process. So we feel really, you know, we feel like it's a, it's a rather in interesting and pressing moment in our, in our history. You know, the baby boomer generation is a, is a huge generation. And, you know, demographically speaking, there's just fewer people in the generations coming up. And so how do we facilitate this shift in the small business world over the next decade, I think is going to be a huge question. And so with technology getting better, with advances in AI, with advances in, you know, the way that younger generations like to do business online, can we meld these two processes so that business owners feel supported and are getting that personal touch that they need while buyers are able to find the information and navigate in a technologically sound way in the way that they like to navigate it. So these are some of the challenges, but I think that technology and modernization has to be a, a part of the conversation. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, I've noticed it over the last 10 years, at least, um, the number of transactions as far as like what we see has gone up exponentially. And the main reason I'm seeing it is, again, that you have people retiring the other side is I think you've got a, a generation of maybe 30 to 40 year olds right now that are kind of tired of corporate America. Right. Um, you know, they didn't have the same opportunity to, you know, take over their family business or maybe start a business. They were, you know, nervous. It probably wasn't a good time for them to, to do it. And now they're all wanting to get into buying a business. So kind of this perfect storm and it's kind of cool to watch yeah. uh, it get passed down to like a younger generation. And a lot of what I see is the, the different, you know, 30 to 40 year olds, they've developed some really good experience and some really good skills and then also have been able to save some funds so that yeah. they're in a position to buy a business. Um, and then you also have the retiree that maybe the last 10 years they've been kind of coasting, right? Or maybe they're tired. Um, they've gotten the business to a really good spot and they're kind of done and they're ready to move on and they're ready to retire. Um, so kind of handing it off to somebody maybe with a better experience with technology um, that can come in and kind of revamp the business a little bit uh, without, you know, completely taking it a different direction. But like you said, they can almost kind of clean it up a little bit um, and take it to the next level is, is really fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, you're right. We're going to see a lot more of that um, as people get older, you know, with the, the generation 
being so large and a lot of them were business owners right um and then you have the younger generation that says i don't really want to work for somebody i want to do it myself right um so it's gonna be pretty cool to see and you know hopefully i'll be able to grab some of those people and and guide them the right way so and that, um, i mean it really touches on like my own personal story as well so i worked working in finance you know i was in a very very traditional corporate environment that didn't totally fit what I wanted, you know, as a professional and what I wanted out of my life. So I, you know, I just remember the last job I had before I started working on this was, you know, I was working at a desk. I had to be in my seat wearing a tie every single morning at 830. And if I was there at 832, I got yelled at. And if, you know, my tie was crooked, I got yelled at. And, you know, it was just one of these things where you're, you're paying me really well. You're, you're paying me like you value my output in a, in a sophisticated way, right? You know, I was working on some challenging deals, I, you know, speculative grade deals, et cetera. And yet I'm being treated as a professional, like I'm a cog in a machine. And so I think what we find is that, you know, the, you know, millennial, elder millennial generation, and then obviously Gen Z coming up, there's, you know, this individuality and, you know, seeking of purpose that people really are drawn to. And I think, you know, for me, it's, you know, can we create something meaningful? Can we create community around something and entrepreneurship and small business ownership is a great way to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's it's funny to see even the shift in that. I mean, obviously with COVID, we saw a big change in people's appearance and what they wore. Um, I I kind of laugh. Uh, there was a time with with COVID, right? When we first started, we was on Zoom, and you would see people uh, jokingly wear a dress shirt and then shorts because you right. could only see them from the top up. And now I feel like everybody's to the point where they're just wearing their their gym clothes every day and they don't even care anymore on Zoom. Sure. So it's kind of the same thing. You're seeing people that didn't want to go sit at a desk all day and got kind of tired of it. Um, I can also see that it it directly translates to how businesses run. You know, a younger generation understands who, a little bit more of who their customer is sometimes. Um, so it's a it's good to almost swap out that retiree and bring in somebody younger who understands who they're going after as a customer because they can directly relate to them. So I think you'll see, uh, we'll see a lot of that going on too. So a little bit of a less uh, millennial bashing, hopefully. And sure. um, we'll see hey, some people that uh, are ready to buy businesses. <laughs> as a millennial, um, so obviously I'm biased, but I have a lot of confidence. I mean, the people that I grew up with, the people I went to school with, I have a lot of confidence in their ingenuity and their, you know, their drive to to succeed. I think that you know, I meet a lot of people who are really motivated to succeed and, and success is not as clear cut as it was maybe for prior generations. And so how do you, you leverage that hunger and that expectation to succeed that was instilled in us from a young age into something meaningful and actionable? I think it's a big challenge. And, you know, you talk about, you know, shifting workplace dynamics and shifting work dynamics. I think that the company of the future and the model of the future for how people interact with each other isn't totally set in sort of for the first time in, in decades. So as a, as an entrepreneur and as someone looking to, to build, you know, a huge challenge is, you know, how do I create a culture that is both modern and, you know, takes advantage of some of the things that we've learned in the past. So, you know, there are people who have had a lot of success with fully remote teams. Um, I think it can be challenging to really, manage and, and build a supportive culture with just remote. You know, you have to be very, very intentional about it. And I've had a lot of success with that model and I've had, you know, some less success with that model. And so really trying to find out how do we empower people to work, to do their best work, to, to do it in a way that is 
sort of convenient for them and, and optimizes their own outcomes, right? No one likes to commute, um, commuting and, and dress codes and things like that build resentment. And I think in a post pandemic world, it's going to be very different. I don't know if you can just say, Hey, everyone back to the office, by the way, you can wear jeans on Friday now. Congratulations. It's just <laughs> not, it's just not how it's going to be. So, yeah. you know, we're thinking really deeply about, you know, mostly remote work with some hybrid components and things like that. You know, how do we bring this model through into the next generation? And what's really interesting is that as we're thinking about that, there are a number of businesses, particularly in the small business world where things are still going to be in person. You know, you have, you know, sort of very you know, businesses that deal with very physical assets, you know, construction, HVAC, manufacturing, where it's, it's challenging to work remotely. And you might see a, a you know, a, a distancing between the different types of environments that professionals are enduring and, and living in over time, you know, which might have, you know, implications for the way our cities are constructed and the way that our houses are constructed, things like that. But, you know, it's a really interesting time to be building a business. It's a really interesting time to be buying a business and fortunately, uh, I think there's a lot of high quality businesses out there to buy and, and opportunities for entrepreneurs who are looking to make a difference. Yeah. And I think even tying that back into the acquisition of a business through your platform, um, most of what the buyers are doing as far as searching is online, right? Yeah. Um, they're not knocking on doors saying, hey, as the owner here, I'd like to buy their business. Um, you know, so I think it, it's definitely going back to that. But then there also becomes a point in the transaction where it is good for them to meet. It is good for them to kind of touch the business, see how it's going. So um, being able to, to kind of be uh, nimble with that is, is great. So Yeah, um, our, our platform is really an acknowledgement that by doing things in a technologically, tech, in a tech forward way, you can save people a lot of time and you can cut through a lot of the friction. And when you save people time in this world, right? If a company is making $50,000 of cash flow a month, um, you know, six months is a lot of time and it's a lot of money. And so, but it's also an acknowledgement that we, particularly when you're buying a business from someone who is retirement age, there are elements that can't be done online. And there are pieces of this that are still evolving, but, but still in a kind of an old school way. How do we meld sort of the old school and the new school in a way that's productive and, and helps everybody? Um, and I think that, we're we're working in that direction. Yeah, definitely. I think finding the efficiencies is what what everybody's trying to do. Right. Without, of course, uh, losing some of that customer service, and then of course keeping your employees happy. If exactly. happy employees, you're gonna have better business. You know, so it definitely makes sense. So, um, you know, there's a lot of information um, that we just kind of spewed out there, and uh, I know it'll be great uh, when you get this up and running, and everyone can come you know, take a look and hopefully they'll be able to, uh, find the right business and, and cut out some of those 42 steps. Um, I like to also just kind of ask you individually a couple sure. quick questions. So did you have a mentor? Do you have a mentor? Um, mentorship is, is really important. I've actually found that m my mentors are sort of similar to, I, I like to connect people with experts in their fields, right? So you know, it's not, let's connect you with an expert lender. Let's connect you with an expert accountant. I also find that mentorship can have a lot of like expert mm. pieces to it. So, you know, at different points in my life, I have had mentors that are tennis coaches or mentors that are teachers or mentors who are bosses or colleagues. And oftentimes those mentors will serve different purposes in your life. You know, that you meet them at the point where they're most useful for you. And, you know, you can form a relationship that way. I haven't actually had sort of like the 
a lifelong mentor that is all encompassing. But I think that if you seek mentorship in all areas of your life, you can find people who are going to be good to you and who can teach you a lot and you should be open to listening. That's awesome. That's a, that's an amazing uh, perspective. I didn't even think about it that way. So great. Okay. Last question. What drives you? What motivates you? What makes you get up and want to put in these long hours and do this? I, I think it's really, there's a personal and there's a philosophical answer to that question. And for me, it's sort of both. So on, on a personal side, I'm just, I'm driven to, to build something. And I think that, you know, everyone who's, who, who tries to build something, who wants to start their own business is, is driven to make their mark, is driven to make an impact, is driven to do something good. And, you know, I have sort of very high expectations for myself and a, and a desire for success that gets me out of bed. And, you know, at any time that stuff doesn't go my way, it's really you know, reinforcing that desire that, hey, the next one's going to go better. And, you know, I got to double down my efforts. You know, I think as an entrepreneur, one of your, your biggest skill sets is you have to be able to take a lot of punches and, and just bounce right back. And I think that the people who, who succeed, who I, you know, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that I admire often have stories where they, you know, were pushed right to the brink before they, they made it. And I, I like to think of myself as someone who can take a lot of punches, but, you know, we'll continue to see as this grows, whether or not that's <laughs> the case. Um, and then on, on a philosophical side, it's really a desire to do good and a desire to see all the technological advances we've seen in society actually be leveraged in a way that helps people and doesn't just spy on them or take money from them or things like <laughs> that. So, you know, I, it all comes back to that public policy piece that I mentioned at the beginning. How do we leverage organizations and technology and relationships to make society better. And I think in this case, the communities around small businesses, the value of entrepreneurship, the value of independently owned small businesses is, is so high. And, and how do we facilitate the continued success of these businesses? Um, that's something that definitely drives me as well. Yeah. Being on the forefront of that is pretty cool to see. So. Yeah. Well, thanks. That was a, that was a great answer. And, you know, I appreciate your time. Um, you know, hopefully uh, we can do this again sometime, but really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, really great. Um, please visit us at privatemarketlabs.com. Um, we have resources. We have, you know, a couple of podcast episodes. We've got um, an opportunity to, to learn more about what we're doing. Um, sign up for our wait list um, and, you know, we'll reach out to you really soon. Um, really excited about, you know, what we're doing, what you're doing at First Internet Bank. And, you know, this has been a great conference and uh, let's have a good afternoon. All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. For more information, or if you'd like to discuss a transaction, please go to www.jaredwjohnson.com.